welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 109. Designate this Sybil R. Erd, eh? He dropped a brass-colored house on the rock coin into the slot. With jagged mechanical motions, the lifted her arm and lowered it once more. A slip of paper chunked out of the slot. Wednesday took it, read it, grunted, folded it up, and put it in his pocket. Aren't you going to show it to me? I'll show you mine, said Shadow. A man's fortune is his own affair, said Wednesday stiffly. I would not ask to see yours. Shadow put his own coin in the slot. He took his slip of paper. He read it. Every ending is a new beginning. Your lucky number is none. Your lucky color is dead. Motto. Like father. Like son. Shadow made a face. He folded the fortune up and put it inside his pocket. They went further in, down a red corridor, past rooms filled with empty chairs upon which rested violins and violas and cellos which played themselves or seemed to when fed a coin. Keys depressed, cymbals crashed, pipes blew compressed air into clarinets and oboes. Shadow observed with a wry amusement that the bows of the stringed instruments played by mechanical arms never actually touched the strings, which were often loose or missing. He wondered whether all the sounds he heard were made by wind and percussion, or whether there were tapes as well. They had walked for what felt like several miles when they came to a room called the Makedo, one wall of which was a 19th century pseudo-oriental nightmare in which beetle-browed mechanical drummers banged cymbals and drums while staring out from their dragon-encrusted lair. Currently, they were majestically torturing St. Sinian's Dance Macabre. Wow, I'm very white. Currently, they were majestically torturing St. Sinian's Dance Macabre. Chernabog sat on a bench in the wall facing the Mikado machine, tapping out the time with his fingers. Pipes fluted, bells jangled. Wednesday sat next to him. Shadow decided to remain standing. Chernabog extended his left hand and shook Wednesday's. Shook Shadow's. And that's our page. The top of the page, Wednesday references Erd, as well as Sybil. Cumian Sibyl was the priestess who presided over the Oracle of Apollo at Cumae, a Greek colony located in Italy. She features in both Virgil's Aeneid and Ovid's Metamorphoses. Within the Aeneid, she links the world of the living with that of the dead. In Metamorphoses, she was given a long life from Apollo after promising him her virginity. She wished to live for as many grains of sand as she could hold in her hand, but she spurned Apollo's love, and him being an asshole, he cursed her to live as long as she wished, but also to age at a normal rate. So she didn't wish for eternal youth as well as her thousand-plus years of life. Her prophecies were collected in tomes known as the Sibylline books, though very little survives due to a fire in the Temple of Jupiter around 80 BC. All this to say that there was a fortune-telling doll from the 1920s with the same name, Sibyl. In the examples I found, the doll would come with a book, and basically it was like a half, it was almost the bust of a woman, but more like waist up of a woman, and then the book itself would be her dress, and you would spin it, and you would get a fortune from the book, I guess. I don't. I couldn't find a lot of concrete data on it. I found a lot of examples of it on eBay or even ancient eBay listings, and the the doll seems to be some kind of almost a board game, sort of, or maybe a party game. The text from the booklet, though, that came with the doll said, If the truth you wish to learn, give my base a quarter turn. Find your question in this book. On its number, closely look. The color, too, just keep in mind. On nearest fold of same hue, find your answer clear and true. So it kind of fits in with the 
the book here were a lucky number, lucky color, and a fortune. All in all, it seems to fairly closely match the fortune teller in the book, although without the coin-operated slot. If you're ever in San Francisco, apparently the Musée Mechanique has a number of old fortune teller machines, including one that seems to match almost exactly the one featured here in the House on the Rock. And normally I would think that this was something that Neil was making up as well, but I, I tend to believe that this probably does exist in the actual House on the Rock. Wednesday name drops one of the Norn here, Erd, and I think that that's an interesting choice. Erd was thought to represent the past, so if Wednesday and Shadow consult her, would they not? They're not going to be getting a vision of the future then. Although perhaps I'm confused as to the purpose of the Norns as overall, and so perhaps they will get something. Well, let's look at the fortune though. Shadow's fortune is. One of those really vague things that I didn't really give too much consideration until my second read-through. But uh, End of Shadow's old life with Laura and in Eagle Point was the jumping off for his adventure with Wednesday. This has already come to pass, so that would be the Erd at work. That would be Erd at work, rather. Your lucky number is none is, at very least, a reference to Bob Dylan's A Hard Rains Are Gonna Fall. Uh, the clip I pulled a, well, a couple weeks ago now, I think. He sings, none is the number, and the rest of the verse before in that is fairly apocalyptic. There's hunger, poison, an executioner with a hidden face, and a number of other allusions, some of which are biblical, some of which are just, well, I'm sure somebody is a Bob Dylan expert and they know what he's talking about. But there's a loss of faith, and it's important because in the book, in just a few pages, Shadow's world and his belief in the tangible is going to be a little bit, well, completely rocked. Your lucky color is dead. Um, I don't know that I have anything here. I think it would be foolish not to include Laura, though, in this part of the prophecy. She is back from the dead, and she'll be fairly important to Shadow as the book continues. I don't know if I would go so far to consider her a good luck charm or lucky in any sort, but I guess we'll have to talk about it more when we get there. Like father, like son is a curious motto. Not much of a motto, more of an idiom or a proverb, perhaps. It means that children will share similar traits to their parents as they grow. See also, chip off the old block, or apple doesn't fall far from the tree. As a direct reference to Shadow, though, well, Shadow doesn't know his father and never seemed to have been given any information from his mother. So as far as we know up to this point in the novel, Shadow doesn't know much about his father. It could also be more metaphorical in that Wednesday is taking Shadow under his wing and introducing him to a whole new world, a world with old gods and new gods and entirely new belief systems that go along with it. The phrase itself, though, seems to go back at least as far as 1633, where it appeared in Thomas Drake's book, Bibliotheca Scholastica Instructissima, or Treasury of Ancient Adages and Sentious Proverbs, selected out of the English, Greek, Latin, French, Italian, and Spanish. And boy, did they ever know how to title books in the old days, huh? I, I've i read the book before. This is, I think, the fourth or fifth read I've had for American Gods, and I still don't feel like I've completely parsed the entire fortune and how it relates back to things. This, once again, comes back to Sandman as well in that there's a prophecy in the Season of Mists arc, and it seems pretty clear once you finish the arc, but then once you finish the novel, it starts, or the, the comic, it takes more meaning on for different ways, and 
it's done very well and it falls together very well, but I don't feel like this particular fortune does the same thing. Perhaps, though, now that I'm looking at the book very, very closely, it'll it'll change when I read it. I hope so. It's also important to note this is another prophecy and this is another fortune being told. We've had a couple more examples of it before this, and we will continue to have more examples going forward. It's definitely one of the themes of the book about about the future and if it's avoidable or not, and if everything is written in stone, especially when there's a fortune involved. But that's not on this page. Dance Macabre was first performed in 1875, composed by Charles Camille Saint... Saint? Hmm. A French composer. We've got a clip here. The opus is known as a tone poem based on the work of French poet, it was probably Henri, Henri Casali. Apparently, the piece is unique in many ways, but stood out in its time mostly by featuring a xylophone and a rather abrasive violin solo. Danse Macabre is also a visual allegory in works of art from the Middle Ages to show that, basically, we're all going to die. So that's pretty joyful. There's also a dance in Neil Gaiman's young reader title, The Graveyard Book, called The Macabre, that is literally a dance with the dead, apropos of nothing except that it just, there's themes that he explores in his novels, and this is one of those that comes up again. YouTube user uh, Ace Jackalope has a recording of the set and sound of the dance macabre at the House on the Rock, and the book does not do it justice. I won't place a clip here because you should just go and, and prepare your ears for true terror i i honestly had a mini panic attack trying to parse all the different sounds and everything and jesus it wouldn't be a scene with a song about death though without another appearance from everyone's favorite death god chernabog that's right he's back and he's shaking hands with his left hand i tried to figure out exactly why he shakes with his left and i mean traditionally in america we use our right hand and supposedly that tradition goes back to ye olden times where people would wipe their butthole with their left hand and then shake with their right because, you know, germs can't travel that way. And, okay, but did you use your did you use your left hand to shake out your pee drops too? I don't... Famously, though, the Boy Scouts shake with their left hand. Supposedly, one of the founders, Lord Baden-Powell, was taught by the bravest Ashanti warriors that they would shake with their left hand as it was the shield hand and extending your left hand instead of your right would be a sign of trust and friendship. Ashanti warriors are from the Ghana region of Africa, if you didn't know, and I I might have known at some point, but I didn't, and I was not familiar with the geography. So, anyhow, you can get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetail at gmail.com or on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. Thank you to Julian Granganage for his version of St. James Infirmary Blues, which we use as our theme song. And thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page, and remember... Only the gods are real.